0: This is rock and roll. Welcome to
1: Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music
2: critic at the Chicago Sun-Times, and I'm Greg Kot. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show. It is that time of year, Jim. It is not Christmas, but as far as the record companies are concerned, they are releasing albums as if Christmas were tomorrow. Yeah, between now... These are the big releases <laughs> of the big year. Between <laughs> now and Thanksgiving. It's
1: nonstop. This yeah. is when the record industry does a huge percentage of its business. Barely have we recovered, Greg, from uh, summer <laughs> concert season out at these festivals that go 14 hours a day in the 110 degree heat, and now we've got the onslaught of uh, the biggest releases of the year in terms of new albums. But at least, you know, when we're reviewing these... We we can sit at home without our pants on and, and, and listen in our own leisure. That's why I don't go into the office. Yeah, they don't like to let me
2: play loud music and, and write in my shorts. That's one way to work from home, yeah. So with that in mind, with that picture in the back of my mind, Jim, I'm going to try to concentrate on the fact that we have these albums to review, uh, including the new one from The Roots, great hip-hop group out of Philadelphia, Khalees can't wait to hear what her new one sounds like. How do you follow milkshake? Yes, I mean, <laughs> how do you follow up milkshake? One of the biggest singles of two thousand and three, two thousand and four. Her fourth album is here. Kalise was here. Plus, we've got two cool indie releases from Cursive and M Ward. We've got the new one from Audio Slave, and uh, then we have this guy. I think everybody will know exactly who we're talking about as soon as they hear that voice. I ain't talking, just walking. Okay, you got three guesses. (laughs) (laughs) There's only one voice like that. Yes, indeed. That is the Bard himself, Bob Dylan, uh, back with his first album in five years called Modern Times, his 44th in a career that stretches back to the early 60s. That's just studio albums. Forget about the live albums. Oh, my God. And not to mention the bootlegs that uh, his fans so obsessively collect. Uh, It's a a modest 10-song record that he's put out this time, recorded very quickly with his uh, touring band, produced by one Jack Frost, yeah, a.k.a. Bob Dylan. <laughs> he's done the last two under that pseudonym. And, and it's interesting, what a card. Jim, because he's in the news as the producer of his new record. Dylan ha- made a little bit of news in the last week by saying that I don't know anybody who's made a record that sounds decent in the past 20 years, really. And he was talking not just about uh, some artistic shortcomings that yeah. he sees in the music, but also the way the records the way records sound, perpetually poor, dissatisfied poor, with the sound poor Jacob. of Jacob. Right, yeah. I mean, how, as if that kid doesn't have enough problems yeah. being Bob Dylan's son. You know, the Wallflowers,
1: I guess, would be included there, indeed, yes. as well as the rest of popular music in yeah. the last two decades. Yeah.
2: His quote is: "You listen to these modern records; they're atrocious. They have sound all over them. There's no definition of nothing, no vocal, no nothing, just like static. Even these songs probably sounded ten times better in the studio when we recorded them. CDs are small. There's no stature." to it so what does he do he makes a record that sounds like it was recorded in 1920 (laughs) which
1: is (laughs) so you can never I think the thing that people don't understand and I'll just inject this right here is you can never forget that Dylan is the most archly ironic perverse imp in the history yeah. of popular music,
2: exactly you know, the guy, the guy's famously sarcastic. Uh, exactly, you know, calling and, and of course calling the record modern times, modern times, making a record that sounds, as you said, like it was recorded in <laughs> yeah. 1920, like complete
1: r- with the, with the vinyl crackles of of a, not
2: even like a, of a, of an LP of a 78 rpm on a Victrola. Exactly, no post rock and roll sounds were used or made on this record. It's right. all about early blues. It's all about early vaudeville. It's all about parlor songs, folk songs, done. Very much live, the way they probably recorded in the 20s, 30s, yeah. and 40s. And yeah, you can hear mistakes. Before there were overdubs. You can
1: hear <laughs> gaffes. It's all part of its charm. I, I, so, So I think what Dylan was actually saying there, you know, famously a punk rocker who's never been named that. He's basically advocating, you know, immediacy is
2: the way to go with recording. Yeah, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more once we play a full track from this record. But I think it's interesting the way dylan has recorded his voice on this record and the way his band plays behind him Mm. on this record he is making a record that i think really doesn't sound like anything else that's out there at the moment and uh, we'll give you a little taste of it. We're going to play a track that that's interesting here. Again, as you were saying, Dylan's head is
1: in the 20s, the 30s, the 40s with vaudeville, with country blues. But you, again, I mean, the guy slays me. I think he's the funniest, one of the funniest artists in history. <laughs> here is this song where he's name-checking. And if you ask me, I think he's sounding a little hot for a current R&B superstar. <laughs> you think? I think he's lusting yeah. after. It's called Thunder on the Mountain. and uh, and, and look at who <laughs> he's chasing down here in this song.
0: Thunder on the mountain and as far as the moon The ruckus in the alley and the summer will be here soon Today's the day you're gonna grab my trombone and blow Well, it's hot stuff, here yeah, and it's everywhere I go I was thinking about Lizzie Keys Couldn't keep him quiet when she was born in him's kitchen I was living down the line I'm wondering where in the world Alicia Keys could be looking for her, even clear through Tennessee. I feel like my soul is beginning to expand. Took you to my heart, and you were sort of understand. You brought me here, now you're trying to run me away. The riding on a wall, come read it, come see what it says. Bob
1: Dylan, Thunder on the Mountain, from the new album Modern Times. I'm wondering where in the world Alicia Keys could be. I've been looking for her even clear through
2: Tennessee. Yeah, Bob. It's well, it ain't exactly Masters of War, is it? No, it's not. But you mentioned the humor, and I think the humor in Dylan lately has just sharpened to a level that is really admirable. The other thing that I really like about his singing lately, he's he's sort of developed his conversational voice that I think I heard for the first time from him. In his 2004 memoir, Chronicles Volume 1, where all of a sudden the veils of mystery just sort of dropped. And here you saw this human being talking to you like like a normal person. (laughs) Like, Dylan was suddenly – I mean, clearly there was – I don't
1: know if it was normal because there's, like, the six pages where he waxes rhapsodic about the genius of Tiny Tim. But it was funny.
2: But he's – yes, it's very funny. It's not normal. Uh, Don't don't ever call Bob normal. You know, I just felt like there was a sense of intimacy there that I had not seen in a lot of his work. yes. Uh, up to that point I always felt like He was playing a bunch Of card games with me you Yeah know? well he still a is listener
1: He still is But he's finally You know as a great magician He's yeah. finally kind of Showing you the joke uh-huh, exactly. Uh huh he, Exactly He's letting If you're smart enough To listen I think it would be easy to, to dismiss this album As what is he doing here With these 20's and 30's tunes And uh, it, it, it is odd There's no doubt about it, it's that It's very strange Let's get some things in perspective. Dylan has been, no doubt about it, at age 65, he's in looking back on his career mode. He did Chronicles Volume 1. He let Martin Scorsese come in and do the authorized biography, uh, No Direction Home. In both cases, he's he's still playing with the enigma of Bob Dylan, and I think he's been more honest in his last three records than he has anywhere else. But there is this obsession with the sounds pre-rock and roll. He's fascinated with the first half of the last century. And the dominant sound on this album is that country blues shuffle. That simple snare drum with the brushes, you know. Right? And that's fine. It's nothing new. We've heard it from him before. I mean, it's essentially Maggie's Farm writ large over three quarters of this album. That's fine because the lyrics are funny and Dylan's singing better than he ever has, mm-hmm. arguably. Not that he ever sings well. And the backing band is one of the finest he has ever had. My problem comes in the other quarter of the album, which is devoted to this bizarre fascination with Bing Crosby and Rudy Vallee crooning. I just I, – I, I can't follow them there. I mean I, I don't – you know, maybe I'm not sophisticated enough in the intricacies of the great American songbook of the last half of the last century. But boy, it just kills me. And there's a couple of those tracks which just – ruin the album for me spirit on the water when the deal goes
2: down and beyond the horizons i i just can't listen to him greg yeah the spirit on the water is is pretty pretty schmaltzy although you get to lines even in that song i can't go to paradise no more i killed a man back there yeah. you know yeah, stuff yeah, yeah, like yeah. this just pops out of these like weird contexts you know here's this kind of bing crosby beautiful ballad type song and suddenly he's talking about killing a man i can't go back there anymore because it, oh yeah i killed a guy back there
1: well, he's got this old testament thing oh, is my running god. wild
2: over this whole you
1: know vindictive god and there is no he- <laughs> hope of redemption except perhaps in the arms of my
2: one true love but she's probably going to drown in the flood well i think the, you the, know, key, that's gonna- the key well <laughs> well said i mean you know he, he's always and, and people sort of read a lot into this like oh it's so dark and depressing but Constantly, even in the most dark, depressing themes in this record, he's finding these weird comical moments. So he's basically saying that truth, beauty, and humor are going to show up in the most unexpected places. When we least expect them to show up, they are going to come along and they are going to make our lives worth living. I think he's very much in the moment in this record. The intimacy in his voice, I think, is really refreshing. There's none of that sort of gargly rasp that has really weighed down his shows in the last few years. But I think the, the big downfall, Jim, overall for me, musically, is that it is not up to the standards of Love and Theft in 2001 and Time Out of Mind in 1997, because the band seems to be a little bit cowed by him. Yeah. It's one of, it's one of his new touring bands. He's he con- consistently rejiggering the lineup. And this latest group of guys, and I noticed this when he was on tour uh, about a year ago, they're sort of tiptoeing around him a little bit still. Yeah, they're still a great band, but they were afraid of the boss and they didn't want to cut loose yeah he, you know
1: what, what was great about that last stretch when he was still playing guitar is he would allow the musicians
2: to kick his butt exactly and he liked it it was almost like bring it on and these guys sound like they're still learning the songs as they're playing them. They're sort yeah. of walking on Well, they probably are. He walks in the studio, plays it once, they and they record it. And there you go. There's another one of, one of the problems he has with modern production techniques, as he said. <laughs> you know, it's you're too well rehearsed. You guys know the stuff too well. I want in the moment, you know. And, no and, tuners. <laughs> but it takes a special group of people to do that. And, uh, you know, I'm not sh- quite sure he got there. He tried that same thing on Love and Theft, and he nailed it. On, on yeah. this one, he didn't quite get there. So Those are um, both better albums. The
1: last two yes, records are both yes. better. So you're saying it's a good album, but here at Sound Opinions, and we're going to use this a lot tonight, we rate things on our trademarked rating scale of buy it. Obviously, we're saying go out and spend your hard-earned money, burn it. You better sample it first. You better listen a little bit, see
2: if it's worth your cash, and trash it. self-explanatory. So where are, you, are, you, are you actually going to tell people to buy this? I'm going to tip the scale on buy it, Jim, for only one reason. Uh, everybody needs to hear him sing... I got the pork chops, she got the pie when he's talking about <laughs> Alicia Keys. Well, I'm with you, but
1: but those Rudy Valley songs uh, are, are killer. I, you know, I would say burn, not that I'm endorsing illegal downloading, mind you. I would say burn the good tracks here. Certainly him uh, lusting after Alicia, but uh, I can't say buy the whole record. All right, Jim. So that's a burn it for you and a buy it for me. Let's see where we stand on this next one. This is uh, arguably the best selling hard rock band in America today, their third album. That phlegm-throated banshee (laughs) whale belongs to none other than Chris Cornell, one-time leader of Soundgarden. uh, Among many other endeavors, there's like an 8- or 12-page fashion spread in the current Esquire magazine. He's he's not dressing grunge no more. He's high style. Uh, He has just recorded the new James Bond theme song, Mm -hmm. right? And he opened a restaurant in Paris. Wow! Who'd have ever thought? Many man, a man of many <laughs> that a, talents. But a guy who was part of the grunge revolution yeah. in the '90s is now a Parisian restaurateur. <laughs> uh, he is also in this new band, Audio Slave, has been now for this is the third album with the remnants of Rage Against the Machine. Tom Morello. A genius guitarist from Libertyville, out here in the uh, Chicago suburbs, a guy who who pretty much reinvented hard rock guitar in yeah. the mid '90s, bringing to it the propensity to, to to mimic the sounds of scratching turntables and dive bombers and strangled chickens and all sorts <laughs> of uh, ama- amazing noises, sounding nothing like a guitar, playing against this rhythm section of uh, Tim Comerford and Brad Wilk. Morello was going around saying the goal for Revelations, the new album by Audio Slave, was to combine Led Ze and Earth, Wind, and Fire. I don't know how that's any different because basically that's what he's been doing since uh, the start of Rage Against the Machine, <laughs> and certainly through the first two Audio Slave albums, with Cornell replacing Zach Della Rocca, who used to be the, the vocalist of Rage Against the Machine. Whatever happened to that guy? Uh now we have uh this new Audio Slave record, which uh I am I'm not gonna you know tip my hand on the review, but I, I think it's safe to say right up here, Greg, that it ain't that much different from the last two <laughs> Audio Slave records. Well well, with the one exception. There was no hint of politics, not in the lyrics. Morello remains one of the most committed activists in rock today. And uh I can't imagine that he was necessarily happy that Slave no longer had the intellectual content, the political content that was present in Rage Against the Machine. But this is the compromise that the three ragers struck with Cornell, who continued to sing uh, mainly solipsistic songs about his life. It, it, it's hard to be Chris Cornell being a Parisian restaurateur and going through <laughs> divorces and stuff like that. But now, all of a sudden, a little bit of politics here in Revelations, the third Audio Slave album, most notably on this song, which is called Wide Awake.
0: You
2: Wide Awake from the new Audio Slave record Revelations, their third album, multi platinum for the first two records. This one, uh, bound to debut in the top five, if not number one. And as you mentioned, Jim Wide Awake, uh, with the political references, trading lives for oil as if the whole world was blind. You know, the chorus in that song to me illustrates the fundamental problem with this band. Listen to the chorus, the quote unquote catchiest part of this song. The lyrics say, I find you guilty of a crime of sleeping at a time when you should have been wide awake. I mean, that's, that's a mouthful. Uh, that, that's, uh, that, that doesn't say anything, that's after and it's he, a mouthful yeah. of, of mush. <laughs> and, you that's know, after he tells us he looked the hurricane in the eyes. Th- there's just a clumsy, mismatched kind of feel to this band. Us, it, 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 from the start, yeah. it appeared that way, and it's just gotten worse, oh, album after album.
1: I, I, look, I want to underscore here. You and I have covered... Tom Morello from the beginning of his career he's been a guest on Sound Opinions incredible musical talent incredible brain Tom this band sucks so bad <laughs> you know it breaks my heart because I, I, I was not impressed by the debut I liked even less Audio Slave number two and now this record I mean Cornell apparently thinks that singing about politics it means uh, mentioning the word riot a whole lot There's no need to apologize for the riot in your eyes And the, you know, the original fire has died But the riot lives on Listen, the most political act that this music is going to inspire Is some skate punk picking his nose in public Yeah, This album is like
2: as interesting as a bingo game At St. Agatha's on a Tuesday night It's difficult to listen to I mean, Cornell's voice He's got a great voice if you're talking about Those kind of slow burn psychedelic dirges That uh, Soundgarden specialized in you know, I mean, wonderful sound I can't fault that but here, here the band is trying to get funky. You know, that sort of earth, wind, and fire comparison isn't really specious. They are trying to get a little bit of soul. they got some tambourines rattling in there, and they're trying some more <laughs> funk rhythms. You know, that, that rhythm section, though, is pretty stiff. Cornell sounds just completely out of his element trying to sing over that kind of a rhythm the band. That a bozo. Uh, I don't you know, understand why Morello, meanwhile, ever... here's the latest riff I've invented, and it's pretty cool. Well, it is a trash it, right? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, if I had four copies, I'd trash them all. The only revelation here is is that this band is really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Audio
1: Slave, I'm sorry. Uh, when we come back, we hope we're going to hear some more good records. We've got more reviews for you. Two cool indie releases from Cursive and M. Ward, and two of the most anticipated hip-hop or R&B records this year from... Khalees and the Roots you can hear all of these record reviews from the show again by going to our website and clicking on the read section at soundopinions.org we'll be right back with Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media
2: To sound opinions on Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, and that is Kalise from the new album. Kalise was here, big single called "Bossy," follow-up to one of the biggest songs of 2004. Milkshake, boy, oh boy, was that song everywhere. That and song is just everything. so great.
1: They're just when you say that word, milkshake. I just, my milkshake it yeah. is better
2: than. I mean, I love that song. I could teach you, but I have to charge. Yeah, I, and I mean, every girl, every schoolgirl in America knew those lines and yeah. was singing that song in it the back was like of the a school bus, classic playground, in the schoolyard. Rhyme, yep, yeah, yeah. But you know, on her third album, from which Milkshake was drawn. Khalees basically talked about sex as the greatest hors d'oeuvre of them all. Uh, you know, there's, there's this whole notion of but, sexuality. But in a self respecting way. Yes. A, she she, she takes was in crap control. From nobody. She and, was in control. And that's what Bossy is spelling out. Exactly. You're not going to diss her. So she's done three records. Uh, this is her fourth now. The first three were done in collaboration with the Neptunes. We've talked about them before on Sound Opinions. This production team of uh, Pharrell Williams and Chad Hugo that dominated R&B and hip-hop from the late 90s uh, up until, you know, the last few weeks. I mean, you can find records <laughs> of theirs on the charts yeah, somewhere, yeah. somehow. Yeah. And Kelis was one of their early discoveries. She was making quirky, off-the-wall R&B. She was sort of bridging the gap between that whole neo-soul movement, all those earthy mother-type singers like Erica Badu... And Jill Scott. And Jill Scott, and contemporary... R&B, the world of Missy Elliott and the people who were getting on the charts all the time. She never quite fit comfortably into either one of those worlds. A she was tinge kind of, of a freak. Psychedelia as mm-hmm. well. Well, yeah, rainbow colored hair Yeah. And the first album in 99 was called Kaleidoscope and yeah. Yeah. so Kaliece Rogers, born in Harlem, now married to Nas, the famous New York City rap star. She's got quite a little career going without her actually fitting comfortably in anyone's niche. She is nobody's mannequin. She is nobody's Svengali-like creation. And on her fourth album, I think one of her final gestures to indicate that she is a completely independent woman is to say, "Okay, I've had all the success with Pharrell and Chad and with the Neptunes guys. I'm not going to record with them anymore. I'm going to go on and do my own thing I mean everybody was lining up to record with her Uh, Khalees was here she's got an A-list of producers on this record Raphael Sadiq Scott Storch Will.i.am Swizz Beatz Max Martin, the Indeed. guy behind uh, all those
1: Britney Spears and Backstreet Boys in uh, Sync Records, uh, Linda Perry, we were talking about last week crafting half of the Christina Aguilera record.
2: Sure, she is the queen of all flavors on this record and many many producers as as opposed to the exclusive deal that she had with Neptunes in the past. So from album no- number 4 Khalees was here. Let's play one of the new tracks. It's called Blindfold Me on Signed Opinions.
0: Let's just say Say, say. Yeah. for me.
1: blindfold from her fourth album Khalees was here this is a fascinating record Craig she just will not be pigeonholed anywhere she's ...proudly a born-again Christian. And yet, Blindfold Me is... uh, How do we say this discreetly? Uh, She's advocating uh, being deprived of her eyesight... ...prior to a sexual uh, congress (laughs) there. You know, uh, uh, Milkshake was also skirting that line... ...like you said last time. We have many of the tracks on this album doing the same thing. A song like Don't Think So. That's her response both to the guy who wants to get in her pants... ...and anybody who wants to tell her to be nice. Like You is, is another sexy kind of playground rap come on that is scored, believe it or not, to a sample of a Mozart aria. Mm -hmm. I really can't think of too many hip-hop tracks that are based on an opera (laughs) vocal sample. I mean, that's bizarre. Despite the fact that you have so many different producers, yeah, the record is schizophrenic, but I think that that's part of her charm. She's just all over the map, going from this kind of sexy, smoky R&B crooning to that little girl on helium from outer space Martian voice there I'm just a sucker for it I I will say that at 18 tracks plus a bonus track that apparently was included on the album against her objections it's her take on some other female pop stars I gather she's just dissing them left and right and and is angry at the record company so here she is arguably the, the biggest release of her career and the first thing she did to promote it was declare war with her record company her second album despite the first one having been a huge hit in Asia and Europe never even came out in the States I mean, she
2: just won't take guff from anybody. I love that about her. Boy, I love what's here. You know, I wish I loved it more because I think Khalees is, you know, she's shown me quite a bit with those first three Neptunes records. And I think what she's done here, Jim, is is turned into just another pretty voice. She's a, another R&B singer. Oh, she's no. She's part of that assembly line. No. Her personality has been buffed out.
1: How can you say that? Look at all the
2: weirdness on this record. Uh, There's not enough. Well, there's weirdness, but it sounds like recycled Khalees weirdness. I mean, those tracks, Bossy, and once that right there, taste like those sour milkshake leftovers. I mean, it's like milkshake part three and part four and part five. And yeah, we get it. You're you're kind of freaky, and you you have you know sexual self empowerment going for you. and, (laughs) And and guys, better watch out when they cut when they step to you. But you can't continue to recycle the formula. I don't hear I think the he can. personality it's a great formula. We were defending Slayer for recycling
1: its formula for thirty years. You know, yeah, I'll but, take
2: this formula any day. But she, she's she's playing somebody else's game. She's not playing her own game now. She's playing Scott Storch's game and Will am's game no and game. No way. Uh, you know, there's a variety of settings. As you said here, there's there's glam rock, there's flamenco, there's a Tweet pop song that CeeLo does Nova for Nova. her. Yeah, CeeLo, You know, know the voice song. of Charles Barkley is on there. But but listen to that song. But she sounds L- more like those guys no, and no, more no. about their personalities than hers, and I want to no, hear her. I,
1: I disagree with it. You know, she's singing in Little Star, this the song that CeeLo joins her on. There's nothing special about me. I'm just a little star. And then CeeLo Green comes in and says, you just keep trying and trying. You sure look like a star to me. I think that is a perfect summation of her entire career. That is the Khalis' story. I mean, it's. it's I it's love a, her. Buy it. Buy it, two copies. It's, it's you an, sell me yours. She she's so has made I can have an extra for
2: the first time in her career. She has made an assembly line R and B record. She has no seen way. and tasted the Big Apple. Oh no! And she says, no I way. want more of that. I want to sell uh, millions and millions of records. No way! It's not no. about me anymore. About my personality. It's about how many records I can sell. Oh no! And I think this smacks of sellout. I think this is a huge disappointment. If
1: it's about how many records, she, the first thing she does is declare war on the record company because she's angry. She did this track almost as a goof in the studio they recorded uh, they they included on the album as a bonus and the first thing she does is declare war with a record company that means she's eager to sell out. And who do you think hired all these producers? W- she chose them, well, and she got from she them she chose them what, for a reason, to get on the charts. She, she, she wants to get on the charts. The perception existed that the Neptunes, you know, were basically using her as as their vocal mouthpiece, and she didn't want that. So I, I think she's firmly in charge here. Yeah, I, I d- bet she'd kick your butt if she knew what you were saying about I, it. You're I talking don't, smack I, about I,
2: I don't doubt that, but I think actually she was more in charge when she was working with the Neptunes, because they allowed her personality to flourish. In this case, <laughs> she just sounds like any other R&B singer sort of plugged so, into these slots i've said it's a buy it what are you giving it you know at best there there's eight tracks on here that i want to hear that's a burn it record for me
1: There a big bang once, and now we're learning to use our thumbs. <laughs> song about the great Darwinian versus uh, creationism debate that rages on today. That is a band called Cursive from Omaha, Nebraska, who have just released a new album called Happy Hollow. A little bit of backstory here, Greg. I got to confess that I had written off, as many critics have, I think, cursive as the kind of inferior younger brother band to fellow nebraskans bright eyes they were the much hyped emo heroes cursive was kind of following in their trail but they never really fit neatly into the emo pigeonhole and that started uh to really become obvious in 2003 with an album called the ugly organ where tim casher flipped that traditional underplayed but nevertheless undeniable emo you know, the girl broke my heart and screwed me over kind of songwriting viewpoint by writing from the viewpoint of the girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I thought was interesting. At the same time, they had some some uh, deeper, y- you know, non-emo uh, flourishes to the music. Uh, it was more indie rock and there was a cello. Now, on this record, Happy Hollow, they've replaced the cellist with a really kind of kicking horn section mm-hmm. and injected a heaping dose of that new wave of new wave sound that everybody, you know, th- th- seemingly every other Band we're hearing these days in the alt rock world is enamored, wants to be kind of Morrissey or Echo and the Bunny Man, and you know, going back to that '80s new wave sound, it works. I think for Cursive because there's a, a real ambition to this record. The cover art intentionally evokes Bruce Springsteen's "Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey" with the kind of the postcard and "Happy Hollow." It's kind of a Sherwood Anderson "Our Town" conceit. <laughs> this is a small town in America. These are guys again from from uh, Omaha, and. Every uh, one of the 14 songs, which they call hymns for heathens <laughs> on this record, is addressing the question of religion and what it means in people's lives, how it is used as a panacea or a retreat from reality or justification for endless hypocrisies. Each of these songs is trying to get at this bigger theme from the perspective of a different resident of this little town, including the parishioner and an older mom and younger kid, a kid who's about to go off to war and fight for God and country and flag and family. That's an awful lot to chew. Boy, That that's heavy duty. So Let's talk in a little bit about whether they succeeded or not. But first we'll hear a song. I think it really kind of sums up what this album is about. It's called Retreat with the exclamation point there, (laughs) uh, which I happen to think is the best Letter to God song since Dear God by XTC. And this one, which comes smack dab in the middle of the album, they're not writing really from a perspective of the townsfolk. They're writing directly to God. Mm -hmm. So God listen up on Sound Opinions.
0: The child.
2: That's Retreat from Cursive, the new record, Happy Hollow. They've been around for a decade, as Jim uh, indicated. And as you also mentioned, in the shadow of uh, Conor Oberst and that uh, whole Omaha scene, Conor Oberst, the leader of the band Bright Eyes, getting all the hype, getting all the notoriety. He's the doe-eyed poster boy Handsome for that boy. whole emo yeah. rock movement. But i got to say, Cashier is every bit the songwriter that Oberst is. Tim and, Kasher, and, yeah. in, and in some ways, a, a better one not as much melodrama but yeah. <laughs> the ambition is definitely there i mean these are multi-part songs even though they're only 3 or 4 minutes long there's four or five things you know happening in the songs at the same time and they're kind of jagged edged and there's a sense of man you know it's almost chaotic and there's almost too much information being thrown mm-hmm, at you at mm-hmm. one time and you know on and, and first listen it can be overwhelming but i got to say i lived with this record for a couple of weeks and by the end of it I was like, wow, this is like one of the most ambitious indie rock records I think yeah. I've ever heard. He pulls it off really well. The hooks are sneaky, but they're sneaky good. E- eventually, every one of these songs hits you with something that you're going to take away from it and be humming the horn riff or the guitar solo or, or, or a bit of a chorus weeks later. And he's tackling really naughty. Metaphysical subjects, as you pointed out, we were talking about you know the childhood dreams versus the soul sucking adult jobs, you yeah, know, yeah. evolution versus creationism, sin and redemption, faith, you know, and fanaticism. Well, and you know, look, he does come from that emo world, even
1: if he's not emo. So occasionally he yeah. does I- in the cardigan he's wearing the sensitive soul. Yeah, right. There's a line in here: "Time to stick a fork in the merciless socket <laughs> of time." You know, and it's like, okay, there, Jack. Maybe you want to edited that one a little.
2: But the one thing I got to say is he never seems to take himself so seriously that you feel like he is thinking of himself as some kind of oracle or poet. Yeah. There's a lot of fun in this record. There's a lot of exuberance in the way it's performed. Oh, He's absolutely. Dealing. They're having a ball. Well, I I, mean, h- I think the XTC
1: uh, analogy we can draw even beyond Retreat and its similarities to Dear God. You mm-hmm. know, uh, but before... When XTC was still touring, when it was actually in the new wave era, there was that kind of genre blind. You know, we'll throw anything and everything, and the kitchen sink into a pop song, but it's always going to be a pop song. Right. It's always going to be three and a half minutes long. It's going to be catchy, and we can deal with heavy subjects. Yeah. But it, you're going to go away humming it. So, in addition to that kind of new wave underpinning, you've got you've got ska, you've got no wave, mm-hmm. and skronk, and weird jazz things. But man, just when you think they're going to lose the plot, the horns come in, or a big chorus comes in, and, and carry
2: you uh, away. Yeah, this, It wins this is the a day. Record. This yeah. is a really, really interesting record. i got to say it's a buy-it. Oh, absolutely. I, I've been a, a cursive fan. I saw them, and I have to admit this, we we talked about this uh, at least with a couple of the other members of the Sound Opinions team when we were out at Lollapalooza. And i got to say, I was just... I was completely unimpressed by their live set. I just yeah. thought that was a shambles, and I, I thought it was a oh mess. My God. Yeah, I, I did not like it. You know, this record is not going to be all that great. Yeah, and but I, you know, as I said, I spent a little time with the record, and I go, man, the the ambition of the songwriting here is, is really first rate. And not only that, but the the melodies and and all the other big ideas sort of caught up with the ambition to the point where you realize. He's actually pulled this off. I think at Lollapalooza they came across as just another kind of cure or echo in the Bunnyman yeah. wannabe
1: new wave revival band. You know, this is a band you want to see in a club. You want to have those horns really mm-hmm. kicking. You want to be able to listen to the lyrics. I mean, I hate to say such a rock critic like cliche. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. really, if the if the music doesn't kick, you know, I don't care what they're well, saying absolutely. in the lyrics.
2: But th- the added pleasure of really diving into this record, man,
1: that's a heavy duty concept there, to write
2: about. Yeah, there's some big ideas floating around in this record, and he, and he presents it as pop music you know mm-hmm. and I think you know, at the end of the day that's what Pete Townsend and Ray Davies were doing back in the 60s you know there and you I'm go. not saying he's the new Pete Townsend or Ray Davies but he's a damn good songwriter, and I got to say, he's right now, he's the best songwriter out of Omaha, Nebraska, if nothing else. <laughs> I don't know how much competition.
1: <laughs> As a double buy it for Cursive's Happy Hollow, we have two more highly anticipated records to review before the end of this record review show on Sound Opinions, The Roots' latest and M. Ward's new album. You can catch up on all of our record reviews from the show. You can read them again and uh, listen a bit. Uh, if you go to the read section of our website, soundopinions.org, we'll be right back with sound opinions on Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.
0: Is really the issue. And then behind that all lies a very personal and human feeling that I don't think old men ought to promote wars for young men to fight. America's lost somewhere inside of Littleton. 11 million children are river That's why I've done it for the sake of victory. False media, we don't need it.
1: Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. There is a dark and scary and typically heavy track called False Media by The Roots from their new album, Game Theory. Greg, it always amuses me uh, when you read critics writing about The Roots. They seem equally divided in uh, making a comparison to The Grateful Dead in the sense that The Roots (laughs) are one of the best live jam bands, although there's no, no flaccid wankery, you know, in The Roots but but there is this fluid kind of jamming quality when they play live, and also the band, in, in the sense of the band backing Dylan, because The Roots are a great group that's been employed by many other uh, hip-hop and R&B greats, mm-hmm. from D'Angelo to Common and they've made some incredible albums on their own. I think everybody would agree that 1999's Things Fall Apart is their masterpiece even as a dedicated hardcore Roots fan, I was worrying that they were losing the play Plot a little bit on, the, especially on the last record. 2004 is the tipping point. You're starting to think that, well, The driving force here, uh, the drummer, Amir Questlove Thompson, maybe he's finally been so distracted by all the other production work he's doing and all the other Roots are playing on on dozens of people's different albums, maybe they've kind of uh, lost the quality control for actual Roots albums. Now along comes Game Theory, which uh, once again sees uh, Amir kind of driving the band, and Black Thought... The rap name that he's chosen, it's uh, an artist by the name of Tariq Trotter, being the primary voice. Although, as always on Roots albums, there are a couple of other guest rappers coming and going, including uh, a guy named uh, Malik B, and a real presence out of Philadelphia, Virginia. Comedic rapper named P.D. Crack Or P.D. P.D. P.E.E.D.I. Let's hear a little Of this. As always with the music of the roots I mean they're all over the place. There's a There's a classic bite on the first single From Cool in the Gang and there's a snippet Of Radiohead driving a song called Atonement and everything in between The song that we're going to play is called In the Music. It's by the roots From Game Theory on Sound Opinions
0: Try and get the gingerbread A few stacks be the price for it in your head Cops and robbers, cowboys and Indians Clips and revivors and Georges and Benjamins A celebration of the loss of your innocence To your old self you lost any resemblance They say the city make a dark impression The youth just lost and they want direction But they don't get the police, they get the protection And walk around we eat like Charlton Hester
2: In the music from The Roots, their new album, Game Theory, uh, that is the centerpiece of the album as far as I'm concerned, Jim. It uh, pretty much sums up the tone of this album, the most somber and perhaps the darkest record The Roots have ever made. There's a lot of issues sort of hanging over it. The war in Iraq, urban crime, what's going on post-9-11 in this country, the decay of the inner city. That that track, you, you definitely get the sense of this, like, Bombed out car Or a panther Strolling through This urban wasteland And just sort of Surveying the streets And here's my life I I
1: didn't want to Tip my hand When I was setting up The record To me This is a There's a riot Going on Mm -hmm. By
2: Sly and the Family Stone For the new millennium Just about every Roots album That I can think of Has a track like that That to me, it just sort of stops you dead in your tracks, and you go, wow, that's a mm-hmm. that's a tour de force. I mean, that's just a, a brilliant track for Amir Thompson, the drummer, those reverberating snare hits, the undulating guitars underneath it. To me, if every track on the album was as good as this, it would have been uh, The Roots' best album. Uh, unfortunately, I, I think this album is another erratic showing from The Roots. Oh. Uh, you mentioned very well that... There's no doubt about uh, things fall apart from 1999 being their masterpiece. Ever since then, it's sort of been hit and miss for me. And again, I think Game Theories falls into that category. Oh, you're nuts. You've got to understand about this group. They changed the game in 93. When they introduced their first record, Organics, it was all about not so much the primacy of the MC, that larger-than-life figure mm-hmm. at, fr- at the front of the hip-hop group, and it wasn't really about the DJ either because they, they really didn't emphasize turntables. No. It was all about this sort of organic collection of characters, creating songs within a hip-hop context. This album, again, is all over the map. But for whatever reason,
1: the consistency,
2: there's not enough consistency here. There's way too many ballads, way too many snoozy ballads packed in at the end of this record. I think it really falls off in its second half. There's a really lame, and I mean lame, rap rock track that Limp Bizkit oh, would no. have used as a B-side. A here I come no. at the end of the record. <laughs> I just think this kind of stuff is beneath... The Roots, uh, whose quality control is usually pretty impeccable. I I just think they've sort of been uh, distracted for whatever reason on their recent album. Look, I think what you're missing here is that this is a
1: 47-minute, 13-song suite. And with the exception of the last track on the album... Which is called uh, "Can't Stop This," which is very much like the song we were making such ardent fun of last week. Thank you, dedication to fans yeah. by no, it's, uh, from uh, the Christina Aguilera record. That's
2: eight minutes to excuse, man. That's, All right, uh, no, no, no,
1: no, but listen, listen. That is their tribute to their brother and the late producer and a good friend of theirs, Jay Dilla. Save it who, for the liner uh, notes. Common, you know, Common <laughs> talked about him when we interviewed we miss you, Jay Dilla. That would have been uh, fine. It uses the same cheesy gambit of, of yeah. uh, voicemail messages paying it's, homage to this it's guy, called but filler. it's at the end of the album. Greg, if you take that out of the mix you've got this 40 minute 12 song pastiche of songs that can't really be judged separately you are always a sucker for that sort of thing like there's a riot going on you know sly and the family stone previously had been known for singles then this album comes out that looks at the devastation in the wake of 68 and the riots in watts and newark new jersey and the fact that the, the you know the only way out of the ghetto is, is by being killed in Vietnam or killed on the streets okay that 's what this album is doing here, and you know the songs taking them individually don't don 't really work. I think that this album is the best thing they 've done since things fall apart and uh i'm just shocked i don't think you did your homework well enough because it's a it's a deep album and it 's a dark album you 're saying there's no consistency there's emotional vibe that with the exception of that closing track, runs through every song here
2: i 'll tell you what what's inconsistent about it when you put tracks like Living in a New World, which sounds like a pretty bad Beck track, if you ask me. Clock with No Hands, a pretty... You don't like that song. ...snoozy ballad. I think it's great. Atonement, another snoozy ballad right on top of it. Right before that, you've got that song, Long Time, which is okay. Here I Come, which is that awful rap rock track. The song Baby... Which is, to me, a like pop trifle. I mean, that's the second half of the record, Jim. I'm finding difficulty finding a song in there. And then you've no, got no, that no. eight-minute Jay Dilla tribute at the end? I give it a Burn It record because I really respect these guys. And I think, as I said, In the Music is, is a masterpiece. But uh, it is not a complete album. I think it's a buy-it album. And the only uh, track that's really skippable is that last one, Can't Stop This.
1: But uh, eh, there's no account for taste.
0: One 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 or two won't do, Cause I want it all. And I said, I said, I said, or a spoonful won't do. No, I want it all.
2: No, you're not listening to a very old man sitting in his basement in the South singing uh, circa 1933. That is, in fact, Matt Ward, a.k.a. M. Ward, who is from California, now records in Portland. And this is his fifth record. It's called Post War, and that particular track is Poison Cup. Ward is one of those singer-songwriter types who has gained quite a bit of respect from his fellow indie musicians around the country. He's uh, recorded tracks with uh, Death Cab for Cutie's Ben Gibbard, Jenny Lewis of Rilo Kiley, Connor Oberst of Bright Eyes. He was discovered in the uh, 90s by one Jason Lytle of Granddaddy who recorded his first group, uh, Rodriguez. Jason Lytle, who we just had on Sound Opinions a few weeks ago, was the first guy to really give M. Ward a shot and and, and bring his songwriting out into the open. How Gelb, uh, the mastermind of the uh, Arizona desert rock band Giant Sand, then recorded Ward's guitar playing for a uh, primarily guitar-based debut solo record. So Ward was primarily known as this masterful guitar player before anybody really knew much about that singing voice. That sort of deep, dark, ancient sound that he's able to conjure once he opens his mouth, he said he got that from singing in his bedroom. He had to sing very quietly, didn't want to disturb his neighbors, didn't want to disturb his parents when he was 16 years old, practicing in his bedroom. He's been recording steadily ever since with the help of uh, Jason Lytle and Hal Gelb. He launched a solo career Has been signed to Merge Records, one of the most respected independent labels in the country. Well-received records in 2003, Transfiguration of Vincent, and in 2004 with Transistor Radio. Still very much lo-fi kind of recordings, very intimate-sounding records. He uh, hired Mike Mogus, the guy who does a lot of the recordings for the Omaha, Nebraska label Saddle Creek, to be his producer for Post War And I think the differences are pretty telling. Uh, Mogus brings a new clarity to what Ward is doing on this record that he's never really been able to uh, evince before on his recorded output. I think the new record is sort of a step up in terms of just the sound quality of it. It's called Post War, and here's a track from it. It's called To Go Home from Sound Opinions, and it's M. Ward.
1: Greg I have a sneaky suspicion that uh, you're you're loving this record I can tell by the gleam in your eye and also <laughs> it's just it kind of uh, stinks of being a cot record actually but uh Greg I think you're buying the hype man because uh, music bloggers out there and fanzine types are uh banding together and saying this is one of the indie records of the year. And they're hearing something I'm not, or, or at least not entirely. One of the things people are saying is that this is kind of a concept album. People are saying this is kind of a musical equivalent of the deer hunter for the war in Iraq, about returning veterans uh, questioning shattered lives. And and that actually is true of the best parts of this album. I think Daniel Johnston's To Go Home was chosen because it kind of comments about that. The song's Chinese translation, Right in the Head, Requiem, are all uh, kind of fitting in that concept mode. And they're really well written. I think his voice, which uh, recalls Elliot Smith, and his guitar playing, which uh, he was part of a tribute album to John Fahey. He was really the driving person there. Fahey's finger-picking style is really uh, what he's doing and taking somewhere new. It all kind of comes together in those couple of songs. The other half of the album sucks. This guy falls prey to such pretensions and such pointless eclecticism. You've got this jazzy shuffle thing happening on Eyes on the Prize and Roller Coaster and Afterward Rag. It's almost as bad as the Bing Crosby stuff that, uh, that Dylan is giving us. And then you, you've got this surf instrumental. And I have no idea what it's doing there. It's called Neptune's Net. It's filler, garbage, or worse. And then, you know, like a really bad hip-hop album where the rapper invites everybody and his uncle and all their friends and family to come and guest rap. you've got an indie rock all-star cast popping by here nico case and jim james of my morning jacket and rachel blumberg of the decemberists and it's like you know hey listen man matt if you could focus on the things that you do well and concentrate on that over the course of the whole album this might have been worth listening to but as it is it's a
2: real mixed bag well first of all i think you got to stop reading those critics because i never read any of those criticisms of this record i Thought concept record with a deer hunter about coming back from a war. What's he going on about? That post-war...
1: Yeah, I, and I'm those, sorry. Look, look at the lyrics don't of those get songs. It. Don't get look it. Look at the lyrics of the songs. But, Jim, if you believe... Right in the head. You, he's coming back. Believe. He's coming back. He's not right in the head.
2: He's, he's been... If you he's be- lost his mind. If you believe the hype, go with it, Jim. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have to say, the only reason I appreciated this record is the atmosphere it creates. You, you mentioned afterward as being one of the reasons you don't like this record. I think you're crazy. That is a beautiful, lush... To mount my mind, when I heard that song, I thought... Here's a guy who understands why those doo-wop records by the Flamingos were so great. He <laughs> understands that atmosphere. He's got that atmosphere. This is a record that very, from that very first track, Poison Cup. It sucks you in. He creates his world. He builds it. He keeps you there, and you don't come out until the, until the very last song. I think it's a wonderful, atmospheric, beautiful record. I think that song, uh, Chinese Translation, in which he, he, he sort of finds this wise man under a tree... Who I think is God. You talk about uh, cursive's Tim Casher writing a a letter to God. I think this is another one of those letter to God type songs. And God says, "I don't have much time for you. You've only got three questions uh, you can ask me." Mm -hmm. And I think it's just a wonderful little parable, kind of song that Dylan would have written. I I think this guy uh, is a very, a very modest songwriter in his own way. And I, but I love the way he creates atmosphere in his his songs. Whether it's a, a gospel rave up like the one you criticized. Uh, magic trick, which I think is a wonderful song, to that to go home song. I just think it's a wonderful record. And I think the main reason it succeeds is that despite his virtuosity as a guitar player and despite the big deal that people make about his voice, it's all about the songs for this guy and creating this rich and, and atmosphere. Is, and the surf instrumental how does that fit in? It's a wonderful it's a yeah. wonderful song. <laughs> it's a wonderful song. Uh, you, you, and, you, and, and it fits in it fits in beautifully because it's a nice little you know, respite after that big gospel yeah, number. Yeah, yeah. You you you, it's drank, a the, you song. drank the Kool Aid on this
1: guy. Yeah. I don't. You know, this record, man. The more I listen to it, the less I liked it. I don't know how you're missing the kind of Iraq underpinning thing. I mean, because it is there in a lot of these songs. Oh, I don't
2: doubt it's there. I, I'm just saying that's not the main reason I'm drawn to it. The concept is, yeah. you know, whatever the concept is, I don't care. I think it's just a beautiful, I, beautiful record. You're equivocating on the Roots album, and you're championing
1: this thing, man. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, this is a burn it record, as far as I'm concerned for the first half, which is pretty decent, and then the second half is just goes right in the trash. You're advocating people buy this with I, cash I, money? I,
2: I would say, you know, the afterward song is, is about a minute and a half. If, if, if somebody downloads that and says they don't like it, then fine, they shouldn't listen to this record. But to me, my mind, I just listen to that minute and a half of music and my breath is taken away. That's the reason I listen to music. Wow, you like this guy. Buy a record all the way. Well, Greg, diversity of
1: opinions there. You look like you want to kill me right now. I'll, I'll you You can go... Convene with your M Ward. Uh, I respect you. Uh, oh, don't worry. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm sad for you, Jim, because you're missing out on a great record. But, I'm, yeah. I'm loving the Roots. <laughs> you can catch up on all these record reviews by going to our website and going to the Read section of SoundOpinions.org. You can hear them again, hear some samples, and uh, actually give us your feedback. Give us your reviews uh, of anything we talk about here on the show at any time at interact at SoundOpinions.org.
2: Next week, Jim, uh, we've got a great show. Warren Haynes is going to be in with uh, his Band government mule. We've Woo. had uh, Warren in here solo before, but this time it's going to be the full-on government mule boogie stomp. <laughs> Metal meets blues meets
1: soul. Man, the the, the hardest rockin jam band. The, yeah, they're the, really the only jam band in the universe today that doesn't lose the plot. We have some thank yous to say on the way out. Tori Malatia is, as always, our executive producer. Todd Bachman's our managing producer and director. Matt Spiegel is our producer. Our associate producers are Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn. We get some legal help from Dino Armira, some technical assistance from Joe Dessau, and Jim
2: Russell is our man at American Public Media. And Jim, I'm going to head out to right now. I'm going to help uh, Bob Dylan find Alicia Keys. I think <laughs> yeah. the two of us are going to cook up some pork chops. i tell you, we'd have a, <laughs> a pledge drive show if we could bring those two together.